Welcome to the Bob Harden Show, bringing you news and commentary to keep you informed and enjoying life on the Paradise Coast. And now, here's your host, Bob Harden. Good morning. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you part by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning. Johnson's Air Conditioning is Naples' longest established air conditioning company. I hope you'll give them a call. The website is johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also brought to you by Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples. The website is lifeinnaples.net. We have terrific guests for today's show, including Pastor Rick Stevens. He is the co-founder of the Florida Citizens Alliance. We'll visit with Michael Cannon, the Director of Health Policy Studies at the Cato Institute. Seton Motley is uh, the founder and publisher of his, of I should say, uh, Less Government. And the former mayor of Naples, Bill Barnett, will be joining us as well. It is September the 21st, and on this day in 1780, during the American Revolution, American General Benedict Arnold met with the British Major John Andre to discuss handing over West Point to the British in return for a promise of a large sum of money and a high position in the British Army. The plot was foiled, and Arnold, a former American hero, became synonymous with the word traitor. Arnold was born in a well-respected family in Norwich, Connecticut on January the 14th, 1741, he apprenticed with an apothecary and was a member of the militia during the French and Indian War. He later became a successful trader and joined the Continental Army with the uh, Revolutionary War broke out between Great Britain and its 13 American colonies. <clears throat> when the war ended in 1783, the colonies won their independence from Britain and formed a new nation, of course, the United States. During the war, Benedict Arnold proved himself a brave and skillful leader helping Ethan Allen's troops capture Fort Ticonderoga in 1775 and then participating in an unsuccessful attack on British Quebec later that year, which earned him a promotion to the Brigadier General. Arnold distinguished himself in campaigns at Lake Champlain, Ridgefield, and Saratoga and gained the support of George Washington. However, Arnold had enemies within the military, and in 1777, five men of lesser rank were promoted over him. Over the course of the next few years, Arnold married for a second time, and he and his new wife lived a lavish lifestyle in Philadelphia, accumulating substantial debt. The debt and the resentment Arnold felt over not being promoted faster were motivating factors in his choice to become a turncoat. In 1780, Arnold was given command of West Point, an American fort of the West Hudson River, of course now the home of the U.S. Military Academy. Arnold contracted, contacted uh, Senator or Sir Henry Clinton, head of the British forces, proposed handing over West Point and his men. On September the 21st on that year, uh, Arnold met with Major John Andre and made his traitorous pact. However, the conspiracy was uncovered and Andre was captured and executed. Arnold, the former American patriot, fled to the enemy side and went on to lead British troops in Virginia and Connecticut. He later moved to England, though he never received all of what he was promised by the British. He died in London on June the 14th. 1801, a turncoat, uh, Benedict Arnold, synonymous with traitor. <clears throat> While the Federal Reserve on Wednesday decided to maintain the primary U.S. interest rate at its current level, opting to assess the impact of the extensive series of rate increases over the past 18 months in, a series in addressing inflationary pressures, the central bank retained its primary policy rate, which was 5.25 to 5.5, this decision came as economic conditions showed signs of easing, even though the inflation remained above the Fed's target of 
In a statement on Wednesday, the Fed noted that the economy remains robust, although job growth has slowed. Additionally, it acknowledged that tighter credit conditions are expected to decelerate economic activity and hiring while curbing inflationary pressures. Then how did the market react? Well, it didn't like it too much. It was up over 200. I'm talking about the Dow. But it started to slide after the Fed's announcement uh, when they hinted that there may be one more hike coming before the end of the year, despite the option uh, opting to hold rates steady. And uh, right now, futures are looking pretty grim as well. So investors are not liking what they see. Well, a group behind lawsuits that led to the Supreme Court to gut affirmative action at higher education institutions sued the U.S. Military Academy at West Point on Tuesday, seeking to end uh, the school's race-conscious admissions policies. The Supreme Court's landmark affirmative action ruling in June didn't apply to the nation's military academies, but the Students for Fair Admissions uh, now seeks to extend that decision to West Point, and I totally support that. Affirmative action was one of the worst policies ever implemented here in the United States. It should be based on merit, how people get promoted and uh, earn uh, positions in the United States. It should be based on merit and what they accomplished, not on the color of our skin. Well, after two and a half years, the Biden administration of justice finally charged Ray Epps with a misdemeanor on Tuesday. Epps is the only protester caught repeatedly on video on January 6, 2021, urging Trump supporters to enter the U.S. Capitol. On the eve of the January 6 protest, a middle-aged man in a MAGA hat showed up, defended Antifa, and told the crowds that they needed to go into the Capitol on January 6. The man made the demands while standing next to Antifa organizer John Sullivan. The Gateway Pundit identified the man as Ray Epps from Arizona. <clears throat> Epps was later filmed hurling hurling a massive Trump sign at the Capitol Police during the rioting. And Epps was also leading protests through two different sets of police barricades at the U.S. Capitol. Revolver News, and if you're not familiar with them, it's, it's a pretty good, uh, great resource for information, revolvernews.net. Anyhow, they wrote an expose on Ray Epps in October and made uh, him even more famous. On Wednesday, news broke that the DOJ finally thinking about arresting Ray Epps for uh, leading the insurrection on the U.S. Capitol. Ray Epps is looking at a minimum of three years in prison for a major violent assault on police that day. Patty McMurray at uh, 100% Fed Up uh, discovered the video months ago. In this damning video, Ray Epps is uh, filmed hoisting the massive Trump sign with several other Trump supporters. Epps was likely leading the efforts as he led the crowd where they breached not just the first set of barriers to the Capitol, but also the second set of barriers to the Capitol, which, of course, is another crime. Today, several men are sitting in prison for touching the sign that passed over their heads that Ray Epps was hurling at the police, but not Epps. The Biden regime did not charge uh, Ray Epps for his violent actions that day. Ray Epps was only charged with disorderly conduct, a misdemeanor, on Tuesday. Of course, they conveniently set the pins for uh, the discussion with Merrick Garland. Uh, By the way, the FBI had so many paid informants of the Capitals on January 6th that they lost track of the number and had to perform a later audit to determine exactly how many confidential human sources run by different FBI field offices were present that day. A former assistant director of the Bureau, 
uh, told lawmakers. At at least one informant was communicating with the FBI handlers as he entered the Capitol, according to Stephen D'Antonio, formerly in charge of the Bureau's uh, Washington field office. The FBI spends an average of $42 million each year in payments to confidential human sources, according to the Department of Justice uh, uh, and the Office of Inspector General which has raised concerns about the vetting process for these paid informants. They also apparently were representing different field offices, so there was some confusion about that. But the number has been greatly underreported, the number of uh, FBI informants that were participating in January 6th, in fact, encouraging and trying to set the pins for convictions for uh, Trump supporters. Well, Republican... uh, Uh, Kentucky Representative Thomas Massey suggested Wednesday that the Attorney General Merrick Garland may have purged himself of his statements about January the 6th. Massey played a compilation of previous testimony from DOJ, FBI, and other agency officials refusing to comment on ongoing investigations in January 6th-related incidents. In one instance, it showed in a clip, Massey asked Garland how many agents were assets of the U.S. government on January the 5th and 6th. Uh, who were agitating the crowd to go to the Capitol on how many agents went into the Capitol. Garland refused to answer. Peter Navarro was indicted for contempt of Congress. Aren't you, in fact, in contempt of Congress when you gave us that answer, Massey said? This is an answer that's appropriate at a press conference. It's not an answer that's appropriate when we are asking questions. You cannot continue to give us these answers. Aren't you, in fact, in contempt of Congress when you refuse to answer? Garland invoked the U.S. Constitution, arguing that separation of powers means the executive branch has control over investigations and that out of respect for those involved in due process, he's not obligated to comment on ongoing probes and investigations. Massey argued Garland was impeding Congress and their ability to conduct oversight. Uh, Can you answer my question now, Massey asked. I don't know the answer to that question, Garland said. You don't know how many were there or you just don't, you know there were none, Massey pressed. I don't know the answer to either of those questions. If there were any, I just don't know how many or whether there were any. That was uh, Garland's response. (laughs) Not very aware of what the heck is going on or he's lying, one of the two. I think you may have just perjured yourself and that you don't know that there were any. Massey said, you want to say that again? You don't want to know if there were any? You don't know that? I have no personal knowledge of this matter, said Garland. I think what I said the last time, you have two years to find out. And by the the way, that was a reference to Ray Epps. And yesterday you indicted him. Isn't that a wonderful coincidence, Massey said, arguing the DOJ sending grandma to prison and putting people in jail for decades for filming or being present at the Capitol on January the 6th. But Epps, who was on video appearing to encourage protesters to enter the Capitol, was charged with a misdemeanor. The American public isn't buying it, Massey said, before yielding his time. I think he's absolutely right, and I'm so pleased that he confronted Merrick Garland that way. We're just so fortunate that he is not an associate justice on the Supreme Court. Well, discussions reportedly are in progress between the United States and Saudi officials concerning the details of a mutual defense treaty resembling the robust military agreements the United States maintains with its allies, South Korea and Japan. This treaty is purportedly a significant component of President Joe Biden's diplomatic initiatives aimed at persuading Saudi Arabia to uh, normalize relations with Israel. 
Under the agreement, the United States and Saudi Arabia would offer military assistance in the event of an attack in the Middle East targeting either nation or occurring on Saudi territory. According to the Saudi officials, such a defense pact would serve as a deterrent against potential attacks by Iran or its affiliated armed groups, all of which uh, with both nations strive to reestablish their di- uh, diplomatic relationship. So the, this is, that sounds pretty positive. Uh, I don't know all the details about it, but it seems to me at one point releasing $6 billion to the Iranians in a trade for prisoners uh, seems to be accommodating to the Iran. So not sure what's behind all this. But nevertheless, it exists, and I thought I'd report to you on it. This segment of the show brought to you by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning, Naples' longest established air conditioning company. I hope you'll visit the website, johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also brought to you by Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples. The website is lifeinnaples.net. Coming up, we're going to be visiting with Pastor Rick Stevens, co-founder of the Florida Citizens Alliance. That and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. I'm Bob Harden, the host of the Bob Harden Show. One of my favorites for breakfast or lunch is Lulabee's Diner, providing great service, fabulous food, and a rockin' good time. Lulabee's Diner is a throwback to the 60s, complete with great music and a fabulous 60s decor. What I like best is a blend of great food, great value, and terrific service. Most of the friendly waitstaff has been part of Lulabee's for years. I enjoy the great choices for breakfast and lunch, and you'll find the menu has everything and anything to satisfy your taste. Lulabee's offers catering, party platters, lunch boxes, and more. Lulabee's Diner will quickly become one of your favorites for breakfast or lunch. No reservations are needed. Check out the website at lulabees.com and stop by Lulabee's Diner, open from 8 a.m. until 2 p.m., seven days a week. Lulabee's Diner in the Green Tree Shopping Center at the corner of Immokalee and Airport Pulling Roads. Stop by Lulabee's Diner for fabulous food and for a forever cool rockin' good time. Collier County Sheriff Kevin Rambaugh says the number one reason the elderly become victims is isolation. The Collier Senior Center goes a long way in keeping seniors connected with the community and with each other. The Collier Senior Center, located at 4898 Coronado Parkway in Golden Gate, provides comprehensive information regarding services and resources that affect the quality of life of older adults and their caregivers in Collier County, empowering them to maintain independent and meaningful lives. Here's Esther Lully, director of Collier Senior Center. Everyone, every senior is welcome. There's diversity there. It's vibrant. It's a caring atmosphere. So there's a reason we offer the services and programs that we do. We want to help enrich the lives of senior members and provide support to their caregivers. Want to find out more? Visit CollierSeniorCenter.org. That's CollierSeniorCenter.org. Or call the Collier Senior Center at 239-252-4541. That's 252-4541. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. 
Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. Are you looking to buy or sell your home? Well, I'd like to welcome aboard two uh, new advertisers, Matt and Megan Chionis with uh, Gulf Coast International Properties. They do terrific work. Had a great visit with them, and I hope you'll give them a call. Uh, the number is 239-269-5310. 239-269-5310. Coming up, we're going to be visiting with the former mayor of Naples, Bill Barnett. Right now we have with us Pastor Rick Stevens. He's the co-founder of the Florida Citizens Alliance. Pastor Rick, thank you so much for joining us. Always a pleasure, Bob. Thanks for having me. Always a pleasure, Pastor Rick. Tell us about the Florida Citizens Alliance. Well, the Florida Citizens Alliance, as I like to say to people, is the voice of the citizens around Florida. We advocate for all the people that care about their child and their child's education. We try to bring solutions to school districts on the local level. We really work hard to empower parents so they know they have choices. And some things can't be fixed except by legislative action. And so we go to Tallahassee and try to persuade, and often do persuade, legislature uh, leaders to make the right decisions and get us some solutions to the problems we have here locally. Terrific organization. Been around for a little more than a decade, and I'm proud to say I'm a found, founding member and uh, just have accomplished so much to help uh, improve the quality of public education here in the state of Florida. So the website, I hope you'll get, uh, t- check it out, goflca.com or goflca.org. Either website uh, works. Terrific organization. So, Pastor Rick, I understand you met with somebody who uh, had a little dust-up uh, with the school board. Well, yeah, people may remember seeing, as happened a couple of weeks ago, the uh, video out of Indian River that went viral. They had quite a quite an impactful school board meeting, a lot of speakers reading from the offensive materials that we've been talking about for years. And by the way, I should put a little note in here for all the parents of Collier County. This whole movement across the country started because parents in Collier County came to us and said, you don't even know the beginning of the problem. Mm. And they began to explain to us, and this offense exploded across the nation. But anyway, back to the Back to the video, it went viral and people saw it everywhere because Pastor John Amanchukwu was kicked out of the Indian River School District for reading material from books that were available to children in their school district. Um, nobody should miss the irony of that. The school board didn't want to hear it, but at that point it was okay for their students to read it. Yeah. Well, last week I had the opportunity to go to San Diego and attend the Turning Point Faith Pastor Summit. And I didn't expect it, but to my surprise and delight, Pastor John was there, and he spoke to the summit, and I talked to him a little bit afterwards. And I just want people to understand that when they see these things, this is not because there are some flaming wild people that are up to no good. Right. Pastor John is just as down-to-earth and, and well-spoken, even-keeled, and, and we spoke about the, the problems for a few minutes, and And I reminded him that the school board there violated and the sheriff's department in Indian River violated his constitutional rights. And he shouldn't put up with that or stand for that. He hadn't even thought about that. He wasn't there to make trouble. He was there to help children. And that's what we're all trying to do is help children. And I'd say people need to keep some of those things in mind and not jump to the wrong conclusion. Sometimes the media makes people who make a strong statement out of conviction into some kind of loony person. Well, that's not the case at all. And I think people ought to realize that there are some serious concerns that we have in our schools and we're going to keep fighting for the children. 
So well said. And of course, the First Amendment rights is not to protect uh, convenient and comfortable speech, it's to protect things that sometimes people don't want to hear. So I uh, really appreciate uh, that report, uh, Pastor Rick. So thank you for that. So uh, anything on the legislative front? Well, surprisingly enough, yes. A lot of people think that, well, the legislature doesn't meet until next year, and that's true. The session doesn't start until next year. But what people often don't realize is that the committees have already started meeting. This was the first week that there were people in Tallahassee beginning the legislative session, and so we had one of our team up there meeting with legislators and trying to get a little sense of the landscape going forward. What are they concerned about? What are they going to be working on that we can support and that we can work together on? Is there any openness to some of our ideas? And we always learn things from talking to people, and we've had some very good conversations with very good friends in the legislature. Uh, one, one particular representative in the House helped us a lot this week. This gentleman has always been straight with us and helped us, and we've appreciated that. And we found out that one of the bills that we're concerned about is already in bill writing. Well, that's a big deal. We didn't even have to encourage somebody to do that. That's already being worked on. And we'll get a copy of that as soon as it's available from the bill writing department. And then we'll know how to go forward. We also learned that, well, there are some things the legislature may not be interested in taking up. And we're a little concerned about that. We're not convinced that's the end of the story. But the fact that we know there is some concern helps us plan our strategy and know how to go forward on this kind of thing. And we talked to a Florida senator a couple weeks ago, had a meeting, and this senator, I, I mean, I don't mean to be unkind or over, overly dramatic, but, but this senator's hair was on fire over the new scholarship options and how badly that's been put into place and all the problems related to it. So we don't know for sure, but we think there might be some changes in those scholarship programs to solve some of these problems. We, we anticipated there'd be problems. Um, the way she described it is worse than we thought she would say. Well, you know, uh, school has just started. I'm sure you have some parents that are unhappy with what they're seeing. They may not, uh, maybe their child is being bullied. Maybe the education materials, they, they don't like them. There are options here in Florida. I was wondering if you could just mention that to, to our listeners. Well, that's a very good point because we all heard all the fanfare about HB1 and the new scholarships and Parents have probably discovered that as they have applied for them, there are some limits to those because they're rolling that out about 20,000 this year, 20,000 more the next year until it's fully implemented all across Florida. But in the midst of all of that, if the parents were disappointed that they didn't get in line in time for one of the other new scholarships, don't forget there is the Hope Scholarship. And parents need to understand that if their child faces an intimidation, a harassment, a threat of any kind, at school, on the school bus, at the school bus stop, at a school activity, a school-related activity, anything like that is an automatic qualification for the Hope Scholarship. And the Hope Scholarship is about $7,500 that they can take to attend the private school of their choice. It can be a religious school. It can be whatever school the parents choose. So if parents are concerned, there, there is the Hope Scholarship. Plus, it's never been easier, and I know parents just kind of shudder when we say this, at least some of them do, it's never been easier to homeschool your child. And homeschool education is far and away the most effective education for children. I know people find that hard to believe. They think they're not experts at this or that or the other thing. You are experts at being the parent of your child. And nobody is more expert at that and your child would love to learn from you. And so we wanna encourage parents, if they need help with the homeschool ideas, we can help have them contact us at 
you mentioned the website, goflca.org, goflca.com, either place. We'll get you to the same spot, and we'd be glad to help. We've got people who know how to do that, and, and we'll help. And Rick, before I let you go, there's uh, Pastor Rick, there's uh, uh, all of this costs money, and neither you nor uh, Keith Law take a salary of any sort. Uh, <clears throat> how do you go about uh, paying for all the things that you're doing? Well, a dollar at a time. <laughs> and you're right. We don't, we don't get paid to do this. Our board doesn't get paid to do this. This is because we want to help the children. And we, we work very hard. Right now we're having our Liberty Challenge. This is the time of the year we've been doing that. And if people can go to our website and help us, every little bit helps. Every big bit helps. And if you want to celebrate with us on October 10th as our Liberty Challenge celebration, we're having Nick Adams come. Nick is quite an amazing man and has quite the story of what it means to come to this country and have the opportunity to succeed. People will enjoy him. He's an enthusiastic, energetic speaker. He's going to be at the Naples Hilton October 10th, and tickets are available on our website. Sign up and come. We'd love to have people join us. It's going to be quite an evening. Okay, that's goflca.com or or gof goflca.com is the website. Uh, get tickets and uh, make a contribution. Really appreciate your commentary here on the show, Pastor Rick. Thank you so much for joining us. Well, thank you, Bob. And I want to say uh, we appreciate your support. You have helped us since the beginning, and we shouldn't overlook that. And uh-uh. I really appreciate that. Well, thank, thank you. thanks for those sentiments. Thank you, Pastor Rick. All right, coming up, uh, we're going to visit with... Uh, uh, Michael Cannon, he is Director of Health Policy Studies at the Cato Institute. That and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Are you looking to buy or sell a home? Make it a convenient and stress-free experience by calling the dynamic and trustworthy husband and wife team of Megan and Matt Chionis with Gulf Coast International Properties. Find out about their unique and complimentary post-closing concierge services not offered by other area agents. Matt and Megan Chionis give you the competitive advantage to command a premium price for your property. They personally attend all showings, create a marketing strategy for your property, and offer that complimentary concierge service to your potential buyer. This hands-on approach has helped them set several sales records in Pelican Bay and many at near-record prices. Megan and Matt Chionis understand that as an affluent buyer-seller, your needs and desires are unique. You deserve this level of service. Megan and Matt Chionis are passionate about the Naples lifestyle and they want you to enjoy it too. Call Megan and Matt Chionis with Gulf Coast International Properties at 239-269-5310. That's 239-269-5310. Do you have questions about your retirement? Ameriprise Private Wealth Advisor Jason Nardella with Nardella Financial Group, a private wealth advisory practice of Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, can help. With the exclusive Confident Retirement Approach, you'll work together to develop a retirement roadmap to get you where you want to go. Call Nardella Financial Group today at 239-325-1041. That's 239-325-1041. Office is located at 9015 Stratistel Court, Suite 103, Naples, Florida. The Confident Retirement Approach is not a guarantee of future financial results. Investment advisory products and services are made available through Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, a registered investment advisor. 
to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Gulf Shore Playhouse, changing lives through exceptional theater experiences. And you can find out more and get tickets to some outstanding performances by visiting the website gulfshoreplayhouse.org. Coming up, I'm going to visit with Seton Motley, the founder of president of Less Government. Right now we have with us Michael Cannon. He is the director of Health Policy Studies at the Cato Institute. Michael, thank you so much for joining us. Great to be here, Bob. Thank you, Michael. Tell us about the Cato Institute. We are a libertarian think tank in Washington, D.C., uh, which means we want you to... Uh, libertarian means we are neither uh, Republican nor Democrat, neither left nor right. We want you to be able to live your life however you want to do it, so long as you respect the equal rights of others. Cato.org is the website. C-A-T-O.org. Terrific organization. So, Michael, uh, I understand there's some legislation brewing right now with regard to pharmaceutical and uh, pharmacy uh, prescription drugs. Uh, maybe you could tell us about it. So uh, there is a bill that's moving through the House of Representatives right now that has to do with the prices that, Med- that Medicare sets for uh, a lot of the services that seniors receive uh, from hospitals versus doctors. Prescription drugs might be a small part of it, but it's often things like cataract surgery ah. and uh, cataract removal. So what uh, Medicare does is it has these very complicated formulae that spit out the prices that Medicare pays. Those formulae are a product of intense lobbying by doctors versus hospitals. Uh, and it turns out the hospitals have better lobbyists because when Medicare pays a hospital, uh, when Medicare pays for a cataract removal, it'll pay a thousand dollars to uh, to the facility uh, if that facility is an ambulatory surgical center or some uh, physician's office. But if you receive the exact same procedure uh, in a hospital, Medicare will pay not one thousand dollars but two thousand hmm. dollars. Now, uh, and these are what they call site of service differentials in the prices that Medicare sets and pays because the, 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 there's a difference between how much it pays at this site versus that site. And it makes no economic sense at all because, the, because even though you're, rece- you're getting this procedure in a hospital and even though there are more resources there at the hospital in case something goes wrong, uh, they don't need uh, those resources uh, in in the vast majority of cases. And if you, they did, they could transfer you from the physician's office to a hospital. So there's no need to get it in the hospital. There's no need to pay the twice as uh, much. Why taxpayers should have to pay twice as much for the same procedure. And it's not just cataracts. It's so many different services, like evaluate, evaluation and management visits for physicians. Uh, Medicare pays more when... Uh, when you receive those in a hospital, uh, those those visits in a hospital than in a physician's office. Uh, in fact, Medicare's pricing is so screwy and, and so ridiculous that if a hospital buys up a physician's practice, then uh, from one day to the next, the same patient going to the same physician's office receiving the same service from the same doctor triggers a higher payment for Medicare just because the of who now owns that physician's office. Now it is, it's part of a, a quote hospital just because the hospital bought the physician's practice. And so Congress there, some folks in Congress are trying to correct this. 
I, there's, there's legislation, as I said, that's moving through the House to eliminate uh, those cited service differentials, but it's probably going to fail. Uh, sounds like government work to me. <laughs> How unfortunate. I mean, it's obvious that there's waste involved in this whole process. So why is the bill going to fail? Well, uh, probably a couple of reasons. One is that you've got hospital lobbyists, the American Hospital Association and uh, the Federation of American Hospitals are two of the most powerful lobbying groups in the country, mm. largely because just about every congressional district has one hospital in it, Sure, at least one hospital in it, and they are huge employers. And so when they go to Congress and say, if you pass this, if we get less money from the taxpayers, we're, we're going to have to eliminate jobs. That's very scary for members of Congress. And, uh, and so usually the hospitals get what they want, and they have been uh, lobbying heavily to try to stop this legislation, arguing that it will cost jobs. Um, but, uh, and, and that's why those, those excessive prices for hospital services have uh, it's why they came into being and why they've persisted for so long, because the hospitals are so good at, at blocking, uh, at getting those uh, excessive prices put in place and blocking efforts to eliminate them. But you know what? Even if the bill passes, that doesn't mean that these, that these excessive prices are going to go away, because all the bill says that it's going to do is eliminate the differential. Yeah, you know what, I, one way to eliminate the differential is, Bob? Yeah, you can increase the price for the... <laughs> A physician, so exactly. And so I don't have any any confidence that this effort is going to bear any fruit at all. But you know what? If they reformed Medicare the right way by turning it into a program like Social Security that just gives the enrollees the cash it was going to spend on them, yeah, and trusts them to spend it, uh, these 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 pricing differentials might not disappear. But I'll tell you what, a lot fewer seniors would be going to the hospitals to pay those excessive prices when they were on the hook for, the, for the, those unnecessary expenditures. Well, the other thing that will happen, too, is that the cost of services will go down. If we make the whole process patient-centric, so the patients not only shop for quality but also for pricing, uh, because they're spending money out of their own pockets, and in effect, and I know the money's been given to them by Social Security, but they want to spend it wisely. Uh, uh, I should say Medicare. The fact of the matter is that it would drive down prices. Social Security does not set prices for anything. It relies on markets to do that, and uh, and and so and Medicare should do the same. Right. Uh, there's no reason why the federal government should be in the business of setting uh, hundreds of millions or billions of uh, prices for billions of transactions uh, every year, because when it does. You get these excessive prices and these ridiculous efforts to try to eliminate them that are doomed to fail. And, uh, of course, the lobbyists have so much to say about how the whole process works. It's so uh, very unfortunate. Michael Cannon, again, Director of Health Policy Studies at the Cato Institute. Cato.org is the website, C-A-T-O.org. Michael, always appreciate your commentary here on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Always a pleasure. Thanks, Bob. My pleasure, indeed. All right, coming up, I'm going to visit with Seton Motley, the founder and president of Less Government. That and more right here in the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network.
Two-thirds of parents prefer educational options for their children, with 40% strongly preferring options for their child's education. School choice is a growing movement, one that is already lifting thousands of kids across America. The Optima Foundation, a 501c3 nonprofit corporation, was founded to support the establishment and expansion of superior quality schools of choice. Optima's goal was the successful launch of Hillsdale College Varney Charter School, Initiative Classical Academies, and other schools of excellence across the state of Florida, serving kindergarten through the 12th grade. The mission is to train the minds and improve the hearts of young people through a content-rich classical education in the liberal arts and sciences with instruction in the principles of moral character and civic virtue. In a terrific product of the process, Naples Classical Academy has already opened here in Naples. You can find out more by visiting the website Optima.Foundation. Help children in Florida optimize their educational opportunities. Visit www.Optima.Foundation. Do you suffer from joint pain in your shoulders, hips, or knees? I was suffering from debilitating pain in my knees. On a referral, I saw Dr. George Markovich with the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine. He successfully treated my symptoms and pain for several months. Finally, having exhausted all alternatives for pain management, Dr. Markovich and I agreed that surgery was my best alternative. Dr. Markovich replaced both of my knees in 2006, and I now have full range of motion in both knees, and I have no pain. I now I'll play golf and exercise free of debilitating pain in my knees. Don't suffer needlessly with joint pain. Call orthopedic surgeon Dr. George Markovich with the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine at 482-5399. That's 482-5399. He did a great job for me and he'll help you too. Bob Hartman Show. And now here's your host, Bob Hartman. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. We're providing you news and commentary rooted in a commitment to individual liberty, personal responsibility, limited government, and the rule of law. Coming up, we're going to visit with the former mayor of Naples, Bill Barnett. Right now we have with us Seton Motley. He is the founder and president of Less Government. Seton, thank you so much for joining us. Good morning, sir. Good morning, Seton. Tell us about Less Government. I can't. We're not doing it. Um, we exist to reduce the size, scope, and sphere of influence of government. And I just read this morning that after more than a year and a half, we've managed to accumulate a grand total of 12 Republicans who are going to oppose any future funding of Ukraine. How, how big government is that? Anyway, go ahead. Yeah, no. In fact, I read this morning that uh, the, we had 17% of all the new employees are working for the government. So talk about... Isn't you that know, good? Pardon me? Isn't that great? Yeah. <laughs> it, so what are we doing? We're expanding uh, government, which is exactly the opposite of what we need. Yes. Yeah, so real quick, uh, uh, before he was prime minister, Benjamin Netanyahu was an e- uh, uh, a economy. Uh, he was the uh, secretary of the economy. I forget what the official title is in Israel. And he got famous and won his the prime ministership the first time by giving his fat man, little man speech. And what it was, was, okay, there's two guys, there's, there's two, two men races. One is a fat guy sitting on a small man's shoulders. The other one is a fat guy carrying the small man. And 
the, the fat man's, you know, you can have the fat man be the economy or be the uh, government. Which would you prefer? He said, if you're, if it's the government, they're riding on your shoulders. Yeah. And the fatter, the fatter the man, the worse the economy is going to do. And he won the he won the election with that speech. And we need we need him to come over here and give it give it on our side of the pond. Yeah. Great great analogy. So, uh, Seton, you wrote a piece, uh, D.C. and Bidenomics, our fake solution didn't work, so we'll do it harder. We'll try it harder. <laughs> Maybe you can tell us about it. Yeah, you know, I, I read, you know, you read all kinds of stuff every day. And one of the publications, I, I you know, they, they send out so many emails. I signed up for them. They're different sections of the economy and the world and all that. There's a, there's a, there's a publication called Politico. Oh, yeah. And I call it, I call it Pathetico. And um, I, I got—I forget which one of the ones I got the other day, but it, the, the the first article, the lead article, was 15 years later. The uh, DC is still struggling with trying to solve the too big to fail banking problem. Yeah. And I went, wait a minute! I thought we solved that in 2008 with 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 Dodd Frank. That was supposed to fix too big to fail. Um, just like healthcare, we were supposed to fix that with Obamacare, but gee, it got worse. Yeah, and of course, too big to fail got worse in the intervening fifteen years. Um, we killed thousands of small banks, and um, and the big banks got thirty percent larger. Uh, like you know, just like the government, we kill all the private sector and it gets bigger. Um, well, it, it, you read you read it further into the article, and what they're saying is, oh, we're just going to do more of what we did in the first place. We're going, to do, we're going to increase regulations. We're going to risk, recru, uh, increase capital requirements. One of the things that really hurt small banks was they, they, they increased the minimum capital requirements a bank needed to carry. Well, only a gigantic bank can meet that requirement. Right. I mean, if you're, if you're a small community bank, you know, it's like a minimum wage. A minimum wage in New York City you know, a national minimum wage. The minimum wage in New York City is not nearly as damaging as it is in, you know, uh, Plainsville, Georgia, with a population of 600 or whatever. Right. Um, it, 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 one size doesn't fit all. I know, I'm 6'5 and 220. Um, <laughs> so so they're just going to... There's no imagination, there's no creativity, there's no, hey, we screwed up last time, let's do something different in D.C., it's we're going to do more of what we did in Dodd Frank and and expect different results. You know, I actually saw heard one sentence. Maybe it was in your column. I'm not sure that uh, we really only need three or four banks. <laughs> oh yeah, that's that was that was. I, I subject myself to CNBC every morning. Yeah, and I was taking a shower and I, I I couldn't hear the first time who said it, but then he said it again a couple of days later. Uh, it, it's it's CNBC morning show host. Andrew Ross Sorkin, who said, yeah, we only need to, it was in my article, because I, I wrote that article when he said it. Um, he goes, yeah, we don't need all these regional banks. We can, maybe we can just buy with three or four big banks. And I'm like, how, how quickly the messaging has changed. We're going we're gonna to solve too big to fail. And what they meant was, you know, I said, what the, how they meant it was the exact opposite of how they sold it. They sold it as we're going to fix too big to fail, as in, we're not going to let banks get too big to, you know, be a, be this big of a problem anymore. Right. And what they meant was, we're going to fix it so only the too big to fill banks are left. Yeah, 
You know, and one of the things I valued, I signed up with a bank. We signed up with a bank, changed banks into, because it was a smaller bank that we, we knew the president, we knew the people involved in the bank, you know, where communications are great. I just feel more secure that way. But when you get involved with a big bank, I mean, what's your personal contact there? And oh, how do you I, so listen, I, I had a bunch of nightmares uh, <laughs> with, well, I had a bunch of nightmares with Wells Fargo, and I'm finally, it's taking them months and months, but they're finally closing my account. You're gonna you're gonna laugh, and I, I hope I don't get you in trouble on your show. It's not it's not a bad word, but it's just kind of funny. It's a it's a bank out of Oklahoma that has two branches. One of them is called All of America Bank, and the other one is actually really called Redneck Bank. <laughs> That's the name of it. And when you when you call for customer service, it's in Oklahoma. They're all Oklahomans. Um, and then the other one I got uh, to get rid of to get rid of Wells Fargo was Ally, which you've seen. It's pretty big now. Yeah. But it's it's still got a very small bank feel. All the customer services of the United States, they've been incredibly helpful. Uh, with They were incredibly helpful with me when I first opened the account. Because I've been with Wells Fargo since, I mean, going back to I was Wachovia, and I got swallowed up by Wells Fargo when, Waco when they bought Wachovia. So i just been mindlessly banking with them. And just as one night, one of my many Wells Fargo nightmares, when I was buying my first property down here in Belize, they wired $100,000 to the wrong account. <laughs> yeah. And then, and then here's, the, here's the fun part very quickly. I said, okay, to whom did you wire? Well, we're not allowed to tell you. Yeah. I said, I can wire them hundred grand, but you won't tell me who it is? Yeah. Yes. And then the real fun part was, to get the money back, the person who received it had to grant permission. Huh. You know, and, and fortunately, it was a, they, they, they wired it to a lawyer I'd been doing business with, and they gave permission to give me my money back. It's just unbelievable. See, and see the, and the problem is that right now, everything that you're describing with regard to legislation, it's, it's going to continue to do the same thing to reduce the number of small banks, which we need, by the way. Well, they're going to increase, the, they're going to further increase regulations. And right. as we know, uh, government affects business on a sliding scale. The smaller you are, the harder it hits you because you can't afford to deal with it right. the way a big bank can. And then, of course, the capital... Incre capital requirement increases is obviously going to affect small banks because they don't have the money big banks do. Unbelievable, Seton. So uh, how do we reverse this? Well, you have to repeal Dodd-Frank, but again, I, I wrote a piece years ago about, you know, no, even though everyone in D.C. plays golf, no one wants to do, admit, admit they've screwed up and take a mulligan. No one wants to admit that, that uh, Obamacare was a disaster. No one wants to admit that Dodd-Frank was a disaster. So, so they'll never go and reverse, hey, you know, we screwed up. You know, the, the, the um, American Vents Act, we talked about that law in 2011. They won't reverse that, even though everyone in, the, in D.C. is going, wow, we didn't mean it for any of this to happen. Yeah. Well, some of them did mean for it to happen, but regardless, they're pretending they didn't mean it to happen. So, hey, if you didn't mean it to happen, don't, you know, to, to paraphrase Jesse Jackson, don't mend it, end it. You can't mend it. It's, it's fundamentally flawed. Just go back and go, oh, you know, this worked out poorly. We're going to reverse it. Just going to repeal it. The road to hell is paved with good intentions. With, with regulations. Yeah. <laughs> Indeed. Seton Miley, again, the founder and president of Less Government. I hope you visit the website, lessgovernment.org. You can also visit Less Government on Facebook. Seton, always appreciate your commentary here on the show. Thank you so much for joining us.
Thank you very much, sir. My pleasure indeed. All right, coming up, we're going to visit with the former mayor of Naples, Bill Barnett. We're going to do that and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Do you have questions about your retirement? Ameriprise Private Wealth Advisor Jason Nardella with Nardella Financial Group, a private wealth advisory practice of Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, can help. With the exclusive Confident Retirement Approach, you'll work together to develop a retirement roadmap to get you where you want to go. Call Nardella Financial Group today at 239-325-1041. That's 239-325-1041. Office is located at 9015 Stratistel Court, Suite 103, Naples, Florida. The Confident Retirement Approach is not a guarantee of future financial results. Investment advisory products and services are made available through Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, a registered investment advisor. Blue Provence Restaurant is a favorite dining destination for many Neapolitans, including Linda and myself. Blue Provence, located in a historic building in the heart of Old Naples at Creighton Cove, offers a mix of French bistro cooking with bold, fresh Floridian flavors. Experience award-winning cuisine at Blue Provence and enjoy one of Florida's most extensive, eclectic, and fun wine cellars. Dining your choice of the popular Eden Bar, the intimate Courtyard Garden, or the beautiful Provencal Caribbean Dining Room. Enjoy a wonderful and memorable evening in a casual and relaxed atmosphere that includes a taste of Provencal hospitality. Blue Provence is open seven days a week, all year round. Visit blueprovencenaples.com for reservations, everyday specials, and coming events. That's blueprovencenaples.com or call 261-8239. That's 261-8239. Blue Provence French Restaurant in the heart of Old Naples. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the Foundation for Government Accountability. I proudly serve on their board. They help prepare elected officials to have winning strategies in the legislature. And you can find out more by visiting the website, thefga.org. We have with us the former mayor of Naples, Bill Barnett. Bill, thank you so much for joining us here on the show. Hey, Bob, my pleasure always on a on a uh, Thursday, and uh, they uh, had a pretty pretty big uh, council meeting yesterday. First, and I think first before we get into that, um, some some positive news, at least on, on my side. I'm positive about it, but uh, Gary Price uh, spoke to him. Um, he is um, definitely going to announce within the next couple of weeks, for sure, that he is running for mayor. That's a definite. That's and great news. Uh, there's two other city council candidates that um, that are um, convinced that, that they will run, um, and um, one of them, as I said last week, was Coach Kramer from Naples High School, uh, a well-respected uh, uh, gentleman, and uh, anybody that knows him knows he is first class. So we'll talk more about that later on. But uh, I mean, you know, as the time goes by. And uh, another gentleman who was a former soccer coach uh, with Naples High and has very good credentials, um, he is going to be jumping in the in the uh, race also. 
And I heard yesterday that there'll be another candidate, another city council candidate. It is a she, and um, uh, she'll will have made up her mind hopefully within the next week or two. I can't mention name until uh, um, until it's it's official, but um, it, it looks real good. And um, so yesterday at the meeting, um, I remember a few. If you remember a few weeks ago. Um, the mayor had had somewhat of a um, uh, a tizzy fit about um, passing things that didn't have a code, and she's she's on this underground parking thing again, and so she convinced council, or I don't know what they really did. We we listened to it, uh, kind of hard to make out what they did, but um, they decided that they were putting, and they won't call it a moratorium, but that's exactly what they did. Um, they said they won't pass anything um, until they write new code um, for some of these items that have come up. And there was one particular that came up that has to do with, I think, underground parking. And um, they made, they, they're going to put them on hold, uh, tell the person, the developer, that there is a procedure that they can go through to appeal it. And, uh, there were a few very upset council people yesterday. It, it managed to pass with the, the usual four. And uh, Blankenship, who, who, by the way, is, is, is convinced or, or said that he is going to run for mayor as well. Uh, so it'd be interesting. But he was, uh, he was all set to vote one way, and he switched his vote to go with, uh, to go with Heitman and, um, and Hutchison and Petronov. And um, uh, he, he almost couldn't get the vote out. I mean, it was like he, like he whispered his vote. Um, and I, I, I just and Ray Christmas said, Ray Christmas said, you know, you really passed a moratorium. That's what you did. And she said, no, no, we didn't. Uh, and it was it was just something else, Bob. I um, I I'm just uh, I'm floored at what, some of the things they did. Then Gary Price spoke yesterday and they were all over him. They were criticizing. They were blaming the prior councils, which is something they've been doing, as you well know, for the last for the last year or whatever. If something doesn't go right, they they go back to prior councils and say they didn't do this and they didn't do that. And and I'll leave leave you with this. I mean, in all my years, we never did that. We didn't go back and say, you know, well, when Harden was on council, he they did they didn't do this and they should have done this and whatever it is, you know. When you grab those reins, all right, and they put you up there, um, you take it. You take it from there, and you move forward. You, you, you're not yeah. going backwards. Sure, there's going to be things that you'll see that you'll want to fix, or not necessarily fix, but you can make better. Let me put it to you that way. Yeah, these guys, these guys are just—they're uh, just out there um, looking for any reason whatsoever to blame somebody else to say what a great job they've been doing these last three years which is as far from the truth as one can possibly get. That's, that's too bad. Well, I will say this. Uh, Gary Price, in my mind, I've attended some uh, city council meetings. Uh, not many, but I've attended a couple. And one of the things you can say is that when Gary speaks, people listen. In other words, he's got wisdom beyond his years, quite frankly. And uh, he, he sim- simply captures the attention of everybody because of the, the quality of his comments. Uh, that he makes. So I think he would make an outstanding mayor for the city of Naples, and I hope he'll be successful. Yeah, I do too. I know that they have a, uh, I know they have a PAC, uh, um, not officially out yet, but I know they've got a PAC, and I know who's on it, and uh, they have some terrific people uh, 
that will be uh, be in Gary's corner. Um, and uh, so as the weeks go on now, I think when we get into October, um, uh, candidates will be coming out. We'll have a lot to talk about, um, and it'll be it'll be very interesting. Uh, Heitman is doing everything she possibly can. She's going to be transparent, and she's going to be this. And remember, a couple of weeks ago, I said to you, she's her first promise after the break was meetings will be short. She will get everybody out of there by four thirty or five o'clock. Um, no more long meetings and whatever. And what have we had since she's been back? Last night they went to, well, I think, 8.30, quarter to 9, from 8.30 in the morning. Wow. That's a little much, Bob. Yeah, it is. <laughs> <laughs> well, Bill, you know, one of the things I'm kind of uh, wondering about is uh, the future, political future of Bill Barnett. Oh, no. Bill Barnett, I don't think, is going to have a political future. Um, I'm, <clears throat> I'm, I'm pretty happy doing what I'm doing with the with the uh, with the shelter um, and uh, for abused women and children as chairman of the board. And um, I think it's time for me to work with the candidates uh, and help get some really good ones elected. Now that we have them and we do, um, I, uh, I think that uh, uh, and, and if Gary becomes mayor, which I hope he does to help uh, be there for for things that they need that I've with my experience I've had. I think I'll be happy doing that. Um, I've just, you know, decided that. So uh, uh, we'll, we'll continue on, and uh, um, and st- I'll stay po- politically uh, as a political advisor. Let's put it that way. That sounds good to me, Bill. Well, uh, whatever decision you make, I know that you're going to be making. Uh, as I like to say, you're going to be a stepping stone, not a stumbling block for people here in Naples. <laughs> yeah, let's hope so. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. So, just really appreciate your. Uh, contribution to what's going on. And by the way, uh, I want, want our listeners to understand what a terrific organization the Shelter for Abused Women and Children is. Uh, definitely support a wonderful organization. Do you happen to know off the top of your mind uh, the website? Um, I, I will give you the – yeah, I do, but we'll run out of time because I have to get a card on, on that. Um, but I will have that for you next week, first thing. Okay. I'll give, you the, uh, I'll give you the website because on the card – it has where you can my card has where you can scan it, um, but I will give you the actual website. All, All right. right, Bill. I just really appreciate your commentary here on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks, Bob. Take care. Bye bye. Have a great day. Thank you so much, Bill. Well, that's a wrap here in today's show. I hope you enjoyed it. We've got some great guests for tomorrow, including uh, Matt and Megan Chionis and their uh, their. Uh, practice, their uh, real estate practice with Gulf Coast International Properties. Really interesting folks. Look forward to having them on the show. Also, William Yateman, Senior Legal Fellow with the Pacific Legal Foundation. Steve Bruder uh, is the uh, President and CEO of uh, the St. Matthew's House. And Larry Bell, endowed professor at the University of Houston in space architecture, will be joining us as well. Uh, I hope you make it a great day on the Paradise Coast or wherever you are. Namaste. Thanks so much for listening to the Bob Harton Show on the Bob Harton Broadcasting Network. For more information and audio files of previous shows, visit www.bobharton.com.